Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, that is JB3. And let's just start with the fact that there's no time like the present. And as we're talking about discussing race and racism and the things that we see in our society, there is no time like the present to have these conversations with your children or with the young people in your lives because we have partially, I mean, we have a responsibility to tell the truth. And in saying that, kids will form their own opinions. They'll come to their own conclusions. And we want to make sure that they're informed. And the way we do that is to be honest and to have difficult conversations. And so on today's episode, we're going to be talking to Marquita Lagarde who is a school social worker who has had experience with framing a lot of these difficult conversations. I'm grateful for the work that she does because her planting the seed for the discussion or the thought then translates into my responsibility as a parent. And am I going to agree with what she says or am I going to paint some different narrative or take things in a different direction but someone has to plant the seed and I realized being a father myself with with two boys two black boys I have to be mindful that they are approaching an age where it's very clear and they see and notice the difference especially with them being in school now that there's people around them that don't look like them and gratefully they haven't reached a point where they are around other people who get treated differently than them. And so without giving too much away in today's episode, I want to introduce you all to Marquita Lagarde, who is going to help us unpack a lot of the work that comes with having these conversations with our young people. So Marquita, over to you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, as you said, my name is Marquita Lagarde. I am originally born and raised in Los Angeles, California, um, raised in Reno Valley, California. I received my bachelor's in psychology from Cal Poly Pomona. Um, I worked a few years post bachelor's degree in community mental health, which led me to obtain my master's in social work with a policy and administration concentration. But I currently work um, in the micro practice of our work. So I live in Phoenix, Arizona, and I work as a school social worker um, here in Phoenix. I've been here for two years. And so a lot of my experience has been working with um, low socioeconomic status communities, which primarily um, has consisted of black and brown communities. So I really enjoy working um, with minority communities. They're my people. I find ways to try to connect with them. And a lot of my focus has been working with children. So that is my expertise is children in trauma. And then finding ways to really connect um, our racial experiences to my background in their lives and how do I support them. Do you ever miss the macro side of things? 
Oh, I loved it so much. Um, and when I'm doing micro work, I honestly start thinking like macro, like this is why this isn't working. We need to like address this. So I do miss it. Um, I'm doing micro right now because I'm getting my license. Mm. And so once I get my license, I may go back to macro like right away or stay in micro a little bit and try to find a way to do both because I do love um, direct practice. I really love it a lot. Understood. So let's kick things off kind of describing the problem. And I'm curious as to how you go about supporting clients from various communities who are really survivors of racism, because it, it doesn't show up anywhere in a DSM, but we know that racism is often the root cause of many of the inequities that we see. So what's your experience been like with that? Uh, yeah, so like I said, I work with Black and Brown communities, so I feel like racism or hearing my kids talk about experiencing racism, I can't avoid it right? Like it just will come up. If you've ever worked with kids, you know, like um, they are going to speak their truth, right? I've worked with kids that are involved in the system, not involved in the system, and there is no difference. They will speak their mind if they feel like they're being treated unfairly. And quite often on both sides of those fences, I've heard my clients, my students, my family say that, you know, this person is racist, or they're doing this because of my race, or they're mistreating me because of my race, or where I come from. Um, I've heard my, some of my, when I used to do community work, I would hear my clients say that they believe that their social workers were racist, um, you know, and they felt like a white person didn't understand them. So a lot of times my role in those interactions, which I always tried to, the role I always tried to take was one, being their advocate, right? Never dismissing their experience because that's their experience. That's their truth. And that's how they perceive that interaction. Who am I to come along and say that that's not true? And that's probably the last thing that they need to hear. Um, I also work with them as an educator, right? I provide them with the language and the understanding of what's the difference, right? right? What's individual racism? Um, what's interpersonal um, racism, institutional or structural racism? And really giving them that language helps to empower them. That's always my goal is to empower my, my clients to make sure that they feel seen and they feel heard. And then a lot of times I'm helping them to just process it, right? How did that make them feel? Um, what did they think? You know, how do they view this person now? Kind of explore how do they move forward? Because sometimes with our kiddos, especially that are those that are assisted involved, they can't just fire their social workers. I mean, they can advocate, but sometimes that just won't happen. So how do you advocate um, in a space where you're seen and heard with this social worker that you're probably stuck with? And then, I, you know, I, if I perceive that it's gone that far, I, I intervene myself. I've intervened oftentimes and kind of explained to another professional adult, hey, this is what's happening. Whether you intended it or not, this is the way it was perceived. And as the adult too, it's your job to repair that relationship. So I try not to play one side. I try to fully see all sides and just support my client and, and help them stand in that truth and hold the adults accountable if they are showing, you know, any form of racism, whether they realize it or not, you know, you can't just dismiss it because they're kids. Mm -hmm. and, and I imagine that has to be difficult, right? Because we are normalized or socialized in many ways to just think that kids are kids and they're not exposed to racism or don't understand the implications of racism. But I feel like these 
I don't say these new kids because I'm not, I don't want to make myself sound old, but I feel like this generation <laughs> of children really understand like the things that are happening around them. So in working across different groups, so knowing that you're working in an education space, so you're imagine that you might be talking to other counselors, you might be talking to teachers. Um, what happens when folks are unaware of their own discomfort with the topic of race and racism? So this happens, you know, I noticed it happening a lot more recently because we all started just having that conversation around race and racism. I mean, I'm sure as a student, I saw it in my own um, grad program or undergrad program. Um, I went to two predominantly white institutions. So of course, um, sometimes I'd probably be the only black person in the class. And so I would see those, you know, discussions being had in a, in a way that didn't center um, acknowledging whether race or racism exists or kind of skirting around that discussion. But I think um, when, when professionals aren't aware, that just tells me that you aren't having real conversations, right? Especially in today's times when all you have to do is turn on the TV and see that the Black Lives Matter movement is happening, the um, anti, um, Asian abuse and mistreatment is happening, right? The anti-Asian discrimination is happening. The anti-Hispanic movement is happening where Hispanics are really standing up and you know, not wanting to be labeled or seen as just people that came here from this crappy country and they should be grateful to be here, but as people who deserve to be here and who have worked hard to be here. So I, I, I really challenge uh, professionals that I work with to really take the time and, you know, be aware of their environment. Don't just close themselves off to a bubble. Um, and I really go into spaces and try to have these conversations because we can't talk about equity or equality or any of those things of that nature without really talking about what led us here, right? It's racism, it's discrimination, it's the, the foundation of this country that led us here. And so if you're not having these, these conversations you probably won't know that you're not comfortable. So I really challenge people to have these conversations. Don't be afraid. Don't feel like you have to know everything. And always remember like that race by nature is just complex, right? So no one's ever going to be like, if you put a forth an honest effort, they're going to, you know, lambast you for just not knowing, right? Um, but also don't look to people to be like your thesaurus or like your Google or your go-to spot. Um, and, and really, you know, listen, open your ears, kind of close your mouth a little bit, avoid jumping to conclusions just because you're, you know, un uncomfortable. That's a, what a lot of us will do, right? When we're uncomfortable, we start to jump and react and we lose the lack of awareness or understanding of what's really being said. Um, be transparent with people too, you know, find a space where you are already connected and really open up and, you know, and be honest and say, you know, I really don't understand. Um, don't be the black, the black square, right? Don't just do it because it's trendy, but really take time to understand because especially if you are working with black and brown people or servicing black and brown people, um, it's your job to really understand what, how comfortable you are with these conversations. How comfortable are you with um, understanding the experiences that we're experiencing. Otherwise you just make the environment more hostile, a lot more difficult, and you reduce the opportunity for growth. 
I did a presentation earlier this week around anti-oppressive practice. And one of the things that I think folks got hung up on was when I mentioned all the things that anti-oppressive practice was not. And the two things that I really hit on were, it's not multiculturalism and it's also not colorblindness. And I think right. the moment we start to say things like, oh, you know, I don't see color. Like we've completely removed, you know, the unique attributes of people and their experiences and their backgrounds. So how does colorblindness show up in the classroom setting in a therapeutic setting? Um, I think it happens intentionally, unintentionally, because like you said, I think people, they like to use that term for a long time. I can remember so many people saying that I don't see color, but I think like you said, it, it removes who I am as a unique individual, right? If you don't see me, as a black woman, that means you don't see me as a person, right? I'm a, I come to you as a black woman. I bring something different to the table. Um, and so I think in therapy, it shows up when we really hold on to these blanket learned theories, right? Like the gestalts and the, um, the Freud, the Freud ideologies and, you know, even CBT, right? We hold on to these blanket universal theories and we say, okay, we frame this under whiteness. If it doesn't fall under whiteness, something's wrong. And so either I have to report it or um, they're not making progress or they're not, you know, this, this isn't a successful case. And so we really um, get stuck and it, it causes us to be rigid. Um, and I, I think even um, non-white professionals, this can happen too, right? We, we don't try to find ways to include um, the, the non-white perspective, it takes an extra step because a lot of times programs aren't having that discussion about how do you look at this, um, this treatment modality and include the Hispanic culture, right? How do you frame this in the way that a Hispanic family can connect and also have success with using this treatment modality? Or how do you, even in school, how do you assess for goodness of fit for services, um, for, for education, for what um, programs they should be a, a part of if you don't see them as a black kid and how a black kid may respond instead of you see it as, well, they're not responding. They don't smile. So they're aggressive. They don't, um, they don't raise their hand. They, you know, they just blurt out. So they have oppositional defiant disorder or they have ADHD and it's, well, no, it's cultural. Right. And so because you've missed the piece of color, right. And you've just seen this universal standard. Now you have caused probably more harm to the people that you're trying to serve. Again, whether you do that intentionally or not, as a professional, it's your job to grow, learn, expand, and make sure you're including the understanding of all people um, so you're not doing more harm. Yeah, I love that you, you even bring up Freud. And I had an episode previously with uh, Janelle Cubbage, and we were talking about CBT, and we talked about evidence-based practices on here on the past, too. And there's so many instances of the work that we do from the perspectives, from the theories, the actual um, modalities that we use. It's not always or is rarely ever designed with us in mind. And so it, mm -hmm. when we try to apply it to our communities and to people who from, come from our communities, it's just in so many ways, such a lost opportunity. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I, I do ascribe to evidence-based practices, but I do try to make as much of a conscious effort to say, how, how do I make this apply to you? What seems natural? What feels real to you? Right. I don't have to go in there and be like, okay, let's, let's follow this to X, Y, Z. And you're, you know, as a culture, you're looking at me like, well, we don't even communicate like that. We don't operate like that. So like you said, it just becomes a failed practice that I've just tried to force on this family. And so I think as a professional, I always try to remind myself, don't center myself in this process, center my families and the work will be a success, right? Like, don't try to think of how good of a therapist can I give this family my great resources? No, think, okay, how can I be a tool for them to be successful? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you bring up a, a really good point that I want to ask, you know, there's definitely benefits and advantages to some of the things that we do in the therapeutic setting or that we do through social work. But what are some of the costs and disadvantages that come with unexamined whiteness? I think it's some things that we still see today, right? We have the lack of trust in mental health because we have white people um, in our history of mental health, even now, where they put on their savior and God complex. Um, and I, I mean, I've heard it myself where people have said like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm helping these people. These people is probably your problem is, how, you know, just how you're viewing us, how you view in this community. Um, and so when you center your whiteness as, a, as I'm a savior, right, and I'm doing a good deed, non-white people see you, right? They, we see people. We, you can see when people just aren't genuine or they're coming from a space of you are probably beneath me and you should be happy that I'm here to save you. Um, It does a great deal of harm. And so it's something that I think people really need to sit with. We go through supervision when we work in the profession. These are the spaces where you need to address that and really examine, am I entering into people's quote unquote safe space and causing them harm because I'm overexerting my my superiority over them, right? I'm overentering my standard of what's um, appropriate or what's a good standard for your family because my white lens says this is what's appropriate. This is what's the standard. Um, We really have to use, and supervisors really have to call out even if you are a white person, call out those instances where people need to fully examine um, the role of their whiteness and what role is it playing in that therapeutic interaction, right? Are you walking in with judgmental eyes or are you walking into a space that's allowing people to be vulnerable and really address some of the issues that they've come to you to address without any judgment? And so I think this, this next question goes back to kind of what we were started the conversation off with, but how are you able to address the impacts that racism has on your clients, but also yourself, right? Because you're not removed from the environment. We think about the children that you're, you're serving, but racism doesn't care who you are. If, if it's targeting you and your community, you could easily become a victim to it. We talk about it. I try to be as honest with my kids as possible. 
Um, I always try to be age appropriate, but I know that racism isn't always going to be age appropriate when it smacks them in the face. So I have honest discussions with them, right? I explore with them, you know, what they've experienced. I talk about what I've experienced. Um, I share my own story if I feel like it's relevant for them, right? Again, ensuring that I'm not imposing my own experiences onto them. But I always try to make sure that I like just remain open to what they're speaking truth to, right? Like you said, this generation, they understand fully and they don't have much fear speaking about what they see standing in front of them. And I appreciate it. We, my, me and my kiddos, we will just sit and talk, right? And we'll speak to, you know, like when the George Floyd murder happened, we spoke truthfully to what happened. I didn't mince words. I didn't skate over it. I didn't avoid it. We spoke to what happened. This man had a knee on his neck for being black and existing. And my kids would tell, they, they were very clear. This doesn't happen to white people. I never seen no white person have a knee on their neck. I even have kids, they pull up their YouTube videos and they show me the video clips. See, miss, they, they didn't um, kill him. Look, they just chasing after him. So you can't, I feel like I can't escape from it or I can't skate around it. And I have to speak clear about what's happening in our environment, what's happening in our world, and just really holding space for them so they know that they have value in this world, that they have a voice. I, the last thing I want to do is to be the person that diminishes their voice. From my own experiences with therapy, I, I go to therapy. I sit with a therapist and I process these things. I found myself, um, after Trayvon Martin was murdered, really being hit hard with America and its racism. Um, I think for a long time, it was something I knew existed, but I think his death really kind of slapped me in my face. Um, being a woman of coming of age and just really seeing how someone could get away with murdering a child so that led, you know, and it, it really brought up a lot of anger in me. So it led me to go back to therapy. And so therapy is something I do on and off when I feel like I need it. And I feel like it's supportive. I have my own black therapist that I talk to and she helps me find my voice in all the chaos. It's I'm, I'm human. And I know that racism affects me. And sometimes I get so angry and so like riled up that I know I need to talk to someone. I know I need to kind of release that so I can be okay and I can function day to day and not hold on to this anger and this spite because of so much evil and hatred that can come from other people. And it's good that, you know, you realize the impacts that it can have on self because like I, I mentioned, we don't get to just remove ourselves from the situation. Like we're, we're a part of it and we're, we have a role as both you know provider and also as I don't say consumer in this case but someone who would benefit from having conversations like how do I process this information yeah and it I mean it definitely helps right like sometimes it's just I mean I can talk to my friends and I think we'll talk and we'll keep each other so riled up um talking to a therapist just helps center me helps get me back focused in a good space where I feel healthy where I know okay, I can't solve all of these problems today. I need to go to bed tonight. I need to just process these things, let them go, face it again tomorrow, right? Work on what I, what I can't control, let go of what I can't control and keep moving forward because 
I, my work that I'm trying to do, it can't be stopped because I'm just so angry. Mm-hmm. And there's so many moments, right? And I feel like last year was a really good example of just like this perpetual anger and frustration. Like, how am I supposed to get things done or go back to work or go back into the office when people who look like me are being murdered and nothing happens? Like no one's being held accountable for it. Yeah. Shifting gears just a little bit, how does one get comfortable talking about race and racism in the mental health setting? And when I, when I say that, I'm referring to more like us on the, the service provider side, because there's, there's folks who just, you know, avoid it more or less. Um, I think the best way to get comfortable, right, with anything, right? Think about when, we, when you first started in social work you have to educate yourself. That's where you find your comfort, right? The more knowledge you gain, the more comfort comfortable you feel, the more confident you feel, the more sure you feel. Um, and so wherever you feel like that education may come from, right? Some people are like, I'm a book person, find really good books that are out there. They're, if you like podcasts, educate yourself through podcasts, find seminars, maybe your local community college or university, if they have extended university courses, try to find ways to continue to expand your understanding and your knowledge in the area that you just aren't comfortable in. And that's racism, right? Racism that may come up in the mental health setting, in the mental health practice, whether it's with a colleague or with a client, um, the best way to, to undo some of that um, hesitation is to continue your education in that area. And then be open to receiving that feedback, right? You aren't an expert, you're new, be a new learner, right? Don't go in the space and um, try to be self-righteous or that's not right, or, you know, it's okay to challenge it, but, but also remain open to learning. Learning and further understanding will be your best tool to start breaking down that discomfort and those barriers where you're hesitant to even um, go down that road of discussing race and racism because eventually it's gonna come to your door, right? If we're saying we want more people to come and receive treatment, especially after this pandemic, you'll see more people receiving treatment. Someone's gonna walk through your door and wanna talk about maybe not even the racism they see today, but how racism has impacted their trajectory in life. And so you, um, you, you wanna be prepared for that. You wanna at least have some knowledge and some ability to say, okay, I can sit through this and I can support you as my client um, and I can help you, you know, break down these layers of understanding of how did this lead you here? Have you seen any instances of like continuing education opportunities that, you know, would go to suggest like, yes, you can actually learn more in addressing race and racism or any other place that gets it right? Um, so everyone's, well, I don't know if everyone, people are familiar with Dr. Cornel West. He was a professor at Harvard. I think that's changing right now. There's lots of things happening around that, but he um, has a podcast. He has wonderful um, books and interviews that you can engage with and learn. These are just on a larger scale, of course. Jane Elliott, she does, uh, pre-pandemic, she was still giving um, seminars and um, um, trainings and discussions around race and racism. 
I think, especially coming from a white woman's perspective, she's very clear, like she doesn't mince words. Um, ta Coates, if you're more of a book person or a documentary person, he has a book called Between the World and Me. This gives you a lens on um, the Black experience from a Black man, right? And just kind of existing and trying to come of age. Um, and then NPR compiled a great list of books and films. Um, the writer was Isabella Rosario. Um, she has a series of just books and podcasts and um, films about racism. And so she kind of describes it as this is a place to start. Um, it's not an end all be all, but if you're looking to just get started and you're not sure if you feel comfortable entering a class, that's a good place to start. And then Alan Green over at USC, he is an associate professor for clinical education. And he has a resource that I will share with you, James, before we leave. It's called Speak Up. And so he talks about opening up a dialogue with youth about racism. This is a K through 12 guide that I have used um, more recently. And so it's teaching you or supporting you to have those necessary discussions on race and racism with your kids. Yeah, okay. that, that whole thing, um, having a conversation with your kids, that's so timely because I realize, you know, I've got two, four, almost five-year-olds and they are more and more cognizant of, I am darker than my friends. It was like, mm -hmm. yep, you are. And mm -hmm. I don't know how prepared I am to have the conversation of like, what that means in the broader context. Because even when I give presentations, I mentioned that race is not biological, right? It's, it's a social construct. It's built by scientists who believe that certain racial features existed among these color lines. But I also go into great emphasis on the point that race has been used to divide individuals, to inspire hate, to make decisions about who gets what and who doesn't. And thinking about that even for like, how do I tell that to a kindergartner? But I have yeah. to, like you, you have to prepare yeah. them even if you don't want to. Like, I, I don't want you to have to live this life, but at the same time, I want you to be aware. Yeah, yeah. And something that I love and something that I've started to notice, speaking of like kindergartners, because I do work with kinders, they are very clear. If you, if you teach them, they're very clear that treating someone differently because of their race is not okay right? I've had my littles tell me we did, um, we, we did a dream setting um, scenario for one of our interventions. And I showed them the story of Dr. King. And one of my kids was flat out. I was like, that's not nice that they treated him bad because he's black first grader. So if you teach your kids these things at a very young age, they understand, right? And there's, that's why I like that resource because it's very kid friendly. Um, it, but it still teaches them the language. It teaches them, you know, what race is and what makes them people different and why it's important to still have those, that level of respect and connectedness as a community, regardless of our differences. How do you go about avoiding having to explain racism? And the way that I'm thinking about this is there's been so many times like in the classroom or maybe even in when I say the classroom, I mean like 
graduate school. Um, and also in the office space where folks want to ask you the black perspective or the black experience. And I've gotten really comfortable with like, you know, Google is a hell of a tool. Like it, it has like mm -hmm. everything. So how do you go about mm -hmm. <laughs> being resourceful, but also not having to explain something that anybody could just go look up? You, well, you, for me, usually when people ask me, since I am a social worker, I will be resourceful, right? I'm the person, I probably already have a list for you. Um, but I kind of ends there with that list. I will give you the list. And kind of like how we learned in our profession, I give you the tools. You have to do the work. If you have follow-up questions after you've done the work, because I've read the book, I know what the book says. I know if you've done your work, um, then maybe we can discuss further. But I set clear boundaries. You have to set clear boundaries because like you said, there's so much information out there. Google has a wealth of information. You just tap away and it will come to your fingertips. Um, so I, I, I'm very clear with people. I, I can help you like, like, like I just gave you that resource. I can give you a, a quick resource to where to start, but I'm not your go-to um, racial connoisseur. I'm not your um, race and racism thesaurus just because you've seen, oh, I've had this discussion or I wrote this or whatever. That doesn't mean that I, I'm giving away this, um, this discussion, you know, just because you want it. I'm, I'm not on your time clock. I have other things in my life that I need to do. And as much as I've had to put in the work to survive in this country and to navigate in this country, you're going to have to put in some work to educate yourselves on the impacts of race and racism. And that's fine. If you're really serious about doing it, you will do the work. Uh, doing the work. It sounds so easy. And it really should be, honestly. I mean, it's, it's not that difficult to go out and, and read a text and have questions and engage in dialogue. And people don't even want to do that. No, they really don't. <laughs> but that's, that's where your boundaries come in, though. You don't bend your boundaries just because people don't want to do the work, right? Because then you become burnt out and you become exhausted and you become jaded and frustrated because you have done all the work for them. No, no, no. You send them on their way. Thanks for coming. <laughs> I, I've given you all that I've got. Like you don't, I, I've learned that my boundaries are there for a reason, right? They're there to protect me. They're there to make sure that I feel comfortable and you stick to those boundaries. Do you have any tips for emerging professionals, graduate students, anybody in the field out there who are seeking treatment in the sense that trying to one advance social justice but two navigate the the isms that come with being engaged in this space yeah um i'm going to acknowledge there are a lot of stigmas around mental health right we have not come far enough where i could say oh no one will judge you or people won't look at you crazy or you know speculate about what's wrong with you um but think about therapy as a place for you to grow and to be your best best self if you are in a space where you want to grow and be your best self or you're in a space where you're saying i want to change my community um you have to be your best self to be out there 
on the front line because you're going to face so much. And therapy is a space where you can release a lot of that, right? And still get back out there and fight. We all talk about self-care Sunday, make therapy your self-care Sunday, right? Going to therapy for myself saved my life. It changed every aspect of my life and my trajectory. That is something I firmly stand by. I, I truly believe therapy saved my life. Um, it wakened up in me so much confidence. It helped me to experience life to the fullest. It helped me to unpack so much that I was carrying, whether it was on a larger scale from my community or in my family or just my own self-harm um, or self-denial. Therapy is a space for you. Um, and if you're really looking to just serve your community, just go for it. Be you. Your community is looking for someone like you. Um, your community is looking for someone that's unique and that fully sees them and sees their problem and isn't there to use them, but there to really help make changes. Um, don't be afraid of that, right? If, if your heart is really in it, people will know that you fully care for them and that you want to help them and that you're there to add and not subtract. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really in you. You just have to really push yourself to just go for it and know that you, you know, you're going to need tools to be out there, but being out there is, is going to make a difference for yourself or the people you care about. And don't really focus on it being such a large scale. Sometimes we need small scale changers. Some, someone needs someone on their street to make some changes or in their school um, or in their church to make a change. So yeah, just go for it. I'm here for it. So Marquita, how do people keep up with you? Um, I'll share that I actually watched your mindful moment the other day. Um, nice, nice. Because I'm not, I'm not as good about mindfulness as I would love to be. Because I'm constantly okay. turning over like a thousand different ideas. But how can other yeah. <laughs> who are more disciplined than I keep up with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at the Black Mental Health Community page. It's BLKMHC. Um, I'm working on a few things. So follow me and join me for my journey. Mindfulness is it's something that I've adopted. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoy doing mindful moments. It, even though I do it for like the, the page, it's something that I really do for myself too. Just give me a moment to just take a nice, good deep breath in and, you know, pause. Let's leave it with that little pause. Well, Marquita, appreciate you and the time. Continue to do the work, especially knowing that you're one, you're playing a critical role and have a very important voice for the youth um, because I don't remember even having a school social worker when I was in like elementary or middle school or maybe even high school. So having someone that you can trust that you can have these difficult conversations with and they can help you process, you have such an important role. And I'm glad that you have the, the mindset and the perspective that you do to, to be honest and forthright with kids about there's there's this world is messed up and this is how we can navigate it yeah thank you thank you i appreciate that 
Mark, you to take care of yourself and I'm sure we'll talk soon. Thank you. Take care as well. Huge thanks to Marquita for joining us on the podcast. When we first started this episode, I know I wanted to talk more about whiteness in therapy, but I realized, you know, we, we've had that conversation a few times. And as we started to shift and me being more more flexible with the podcast is something I've been trying to do more frequently. I realized like this was the conversation that needs to be had at this moment and where we are in our lives, we really need to make a decision on if we want to be truth tellers in all spaces. And so thank you again. I also want to do something a bit different today. I want to, I want to thank the listeners. I want to thank you all for, for tuning in, for sharing, for amplifying the voices that we have on the podcast, because without you all, there's, there's just no way that we would have made it to 47 episodes. The fact that we're even at 47 episodes. Oh my God. I know we are coming up on the holiday season. We're not slowing down for once. I I want to get a few really important episodes out here soon. So be on the lookout for those. A few other announcements, of course, follow us on the social media. We are on Twitter. That's at Equity Matters PC. We are on Instagram. That's at Equity Matters Podcast. We're also on Facebook. You can like us there. That's Equity Matters Podcast. If you follow us on social media, you may have noticed uh, as of late that I am including the sources on our posts. And I realize that this is probably the first episode since I've started doing that. So I want to make sure I, I acknowledge it. I started to notice more frequently that content creators were taking content from other folks and not acknowledging where it came from. And that's not my intention on any platform that I'm a part of. I, I want to cite folks work, especially if they are people of color, if they are not typically recognized for the hard work that they do. So I want you to be able to find it. And I'm, I'm even going a step further and trying to make sure that I tag people um, when relevant. So when when I can find their page, I'm, I'm going to tag them because I want you to go to the original source and I want you to learn more about them and the things that they do. So that's one quick thing. Another thing, we have the Equity Matters Social Justice Academy going down November 16th, uh, 730 to 9 o'clock. The link to register is in the bio. Anywhere that you're following us, you'll be able to find it. I'm really looking forward to this topic because the more I've done research around it, people don't talk about it. It has not been unpacked in in a meaningful way that I've come across. So you are in for a treat. Um, please register as soon as possible. We are creating those workbooks. So we want to make sure that we get those out to the people who need them. I want to also highlight here uh, a service, right? So this is not sponsored in any way. He doesn't know I'm about to do this, but I just got off of an Instagram live with the homie uh, Trey Taylor. He's been on the podcast a few times um, as the Monuous Fall, I believe, was his episode. He was also on the Therapy and Black episode. I recently joined him on his podcast. But what he's doing is he's actually launching a a podcasting course and a podcasting webinar and how to start podcasting. And when you start thinking about people that inspire you in the in the work, his ability to be charismatic, but also be uh, direct 
and calling things as they are, which is definitely in line with today's episode around Just Tell the Truth. I don't know when he's launching it. I don't know when it's coming, but when it is, you'll definitely get a, a note from me just because I've seen the way that he's able to connect with guests, his ability to outline an episode and just his knowledge around what it means to be a podcaster. I mean, I'm shout the homie out. I, I think there's a, a great opportunity there. So when it when it does go live, want to make sure that you all are informed if you that is something that you want to join. November is busy for us. We have another episode coming in two weeks. We're talking about financial literacy and social work. A lot of overlap there as we're talking about the resources that communities and families need. So be on the lookout for that coming soon. I think at this point, I want to go ahead and wrap up. And so we will talk soon. Definitely appreciate all of the listeners, all the followers out there. And shout out to all the Instagram followers. I feel like that page has been growing exponentially. Keep sharing. I, I, I'm so grateful for all of you getting on there. But until next time, folks, as you already know, equity matters. Equity matters.